As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Breaking news from The Athletic. What's up? Welcome in. Hogan Johns with you with an early, quickie episode this week because of the big news that the Bears are finalizing the hiring of Shane Waldron as their next offensive coordinator. Uh, something, a guy we've talked a lot about. And uh, Johns, we thought it'd be s- smart to bring in our guy, Mike Dugar, who covers the Seahawks out in Seattle for the Athletic. And uh, get the perspective from Mike right away on on uh, the OC that we're going to be interviewing here weekly come the regular season. Um, John's any initial thoughts, though, before we jump in here? Like my first reaction is that I like it. I, I like that he actually coached for Pete Carroll, that he started his career with Bill Belichick. I like that he's from the McVay tree, was there when things got started with Jared Goff right away in 2017. So there's a lot of things to like about it, especially when you compare him against Luke Getze, three years of play calling experience in the NFL. Luke Getze didn't have any of that. And he's worked with different quarterbacks, Russell Wilson, Geno Smith, Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff. Again, again, Luke Getze only had Aaron Rodgers really on his resume. So from as far as my initial reaction, I like it because he's different than his predecessor. Uh, Mike does a great job covering the Seahawks out in Seattle. You should follow him on Twitter at Mike Dugar. And Mike, look, I always uh, maintain that there's maybe five NFL fan bases who actually like their offensive coordinator. So I'm trying not to take too seriously some of the angst uh, or warnings that are coming out from uh, you know on social media right now from Seahawks fans. But man, you've been there. You tell us what's it been like uh, the job that Shane Waldron did over the last three seasons uh, in Seattle. Yeah, I do think there's a very noticeable divide or between like how Shane is perceived outside of Seattle versus with the fans uh, and even some local media think of him. Like he does design some good stuff. Like, but it's for me when I'm assessing a coordinator, um, like Adam just ran through, like, okay, here's his resume. I start there, it's his background. And the other thing I look at is situational stuff. Like, how is your team on third down? How's your team in the red zone? How's your team in two minute? Uh, situational doesn't usually include like opening script, but I'm usually curious about that too. Shane, really good opening script guy. Um, I I don't know his numbers off the top of my head, but I'd probably put those against most OCs in terms of you know first fifteen or whatever. After that, though, when you talk about third down, red zone, 
That's why you're seeing all that social media pushback from people in Seattle. They're really tired of just going three and out, really tired of not scoring in the red zone, You know, really tired of being like one of the worst third down teams in the league, which I think they were again this year. And the situational stuff, that's that's what wins and loses your games. You know, can you execute in two minutes? Can you stay on the field in third down? And when you get in the red zone, do you get touchdowns? Usually things that keep people employed. You're bad at those things. You usually don't get promotions, generally speaking. So, like, when I look at Shane or any OC, that's where I'm starting at. He was really inconsistent in that regard. There were some days they were just masterful on third down. I mean, uh, an example, a primetime example would be when they played the Cowboys this year, week 13, Thursday night football. I think they were, like, 9 of 14. Killing it. First third down is DK, beats Deron Bland for, like, a million-yard touchdown. And they ended up being really good on third down the rest of the game. Uh, but even in that game was another good example of Shane. They failed on third down and fourth down multiple times uh, with a chance to win the game. And on the last play of the game, they tried they run a play for DJ Dallas. And then people in Chicago might be like, who is that? Right? That's because <laughs> I was just thinking a, that. <laughs> he's the running back. You know? Miami. Like, yeah, he went to, went to Miami, their third string running back. Uh, he's actually boys with Travis Homer, former Seahawks. They're, uh, they're really tight. But, like, the idea of having DK Metcalf and Noah Fant and – Tyler Lockett and Jackson Smith and Jigba and even Ken Walker, or no, I don't think he played, but Zach Charbonnet. And with the game on the line, like fourth and whatever it was, you're running a play that is for DJ and also expects Michael Parsons to come unblocked and you don't do anything about it. Right. That's that whole game. If Bears fans are looking for a game to kind of analyze Shane, that one's a really good one. Just it's him in a nutshell. It was really good in some spots, but it was really bad uh, in some spots, some critical spots uh, as well. Can you take us back to to his hiring, the start? Because um, didn't Russell Wilson kind of play a role in his arrival? Like he he was involved in the the search that eventually landed Waldron, correct? Yeah, that was a weird time uh, because Brian Schottenheimer didn't get fired for uh, like because he was bad at his job. They had like three top ten offenses in a row, and that was the end of the let Russ cook uh, time that kind of Shane came into and. Shadi basically got fired because he was stuck in a weird spot. He was just like, yeah, here's how I want to get down. Here's how Russ would like to get down. And then Pete's like, well, here's how I want to get down. So you're gone. We're keeping Russ and we're going to find a new guy. And Russ was at like, he really wanted more control over the situation. He was tired of not winning championships. He felt like the there were other circumstances besides his own play impacting that. So he was like, let me help pick the next dude. If you guys are going to be firing coordinators that I like. Um, so Shane was like brought into like a really disruptive household. And now we see all this reporting later that shows how like toxic that situation was. So yeah, Russ was involved. I don't know if he like picked, I don't know what round he got in on. Like, I think they had a, a cast at a pretty wide net, got down to about three. I think maybe the Packers pass game coordinator at the time was involved as well. And then I think Russ was involved in like when they got down to the final three and really like Shane, I think Russ actually, I could find the transcript or something, but I think Russ was telling us that he like was quizzing Shane or like having Shane call some plays. It's like, Hey, call this, call this, call this game was like really like really interviewing him. He was really involved in the process all for that to only last for a year. So yeah, I think Russ was really heavily involved, really liked Shane spoke highly of him, liked his ideas. Um, you could kind of tell, uh, that he had an identity that Russ liked. Russ liked some of the things that you guys are mentioning. He came from the McVay tree. Uh, he had worked with Goff. He had worked with some other quarterbacks too. Um, the Rams system had been kicking Seattle's butt for a while. So they were like, anybody from that, 
give us the secret sauce. You know, Russ was really big on that. It didn't come to fruition like they wanted, but yeah, Russ was Russ was pretty uh, supportive of that hire uh, in real time. So the uh, I don't know if you know this, but here in Chicago, you have to be in one of two camps. You have to pick one of the two camps. You can't be. Uh, you can't cross over at all. Yeah, they got to be Team Caleb Williams or Team Justin Fields. So the uh, the Team Justin Fields people, um, they they're I think they're excited because of what Geno Smith has done the last couple of years here. Uh, how much credit does Shane Waldron deserve for um, you know whatever type of renaissance Geno's been able to have? It's a good question. If I had to chart it out or use like a pie. I don't, I don't think Shane Slice would be super big just because I think it's really more of a credit to Gino as a person. Like when I, I did a feature story on Gino last year around the time he made the Pro Bowl and I was going back and reading some of his like old quotes from the Jets. And like some of it was like, oh, man, this dude's young and immature, right? Like this, he needed to go somewhere else to flourish. But you see Gino calls himself a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback in like 2014. And it was so it was viewed as such like an inflammatory comment that I think like Rex Ryan had to come out and apologize for it or walk it back. That's how crazy that was up there in New York. But like that, you could see Gino always believed in himself. Even when he got to start, he broke Eli Manning's starting streak. It was like 200 plus games in a row. Right? And the coach who broke the streak for him ended up getting fired. But Gino, he didn't he wasn't apologetic of like, oh, cool. Eli did his thing. But like, I'm ready now. I'm ready to play. I'm ready to play instead of this future hall of famer. Like you guys love him here, but like I'm Gino, I'm ready to rock. Um, He's always been super confident. He put up a ton of numbers at West Virginia. He was a really good high school prospect um, in, in South Florida where they produce all of the good high school prospects. It seems so Gino never thought that he wasn't the guy, you know, I think Gino signed with rock nation out of uh, the draft and was like the quarterback of the jets. Right. So, I mean, you posing with Jay-Z your first couple of years in the league, you're at the mountaintop and Gino mentally never left the mountaintop. So when he got a chance to start here in Seattle, he was just like, yeah, I've been wanting to take Russ's job. See ya, you know, lay your Russ, but I'm ready. So um, he was one of those stay ready so you didn't have to get ready type of guys. And I think that if, again, in the pie chart, that's probably like 70% of it for me from from seeing. Not to say Shane did nothing, but Gino deserves a lot of credit for that self-belief. You know, that's why his story was so inspiring because it was a testament to his own faith in himself. And then the rest of the pie chart I'll probably give to uh, Pete Carroll, who just gets guys to believe in themselves in a way that I don't think we've seen from any coach, really. Like Pete, Pete gets the best out of dudes, everyone from the long snapper to the quarterback. Um, so I probably give him another like 20 percent of that. And then uh, Shane's probably lumped in there with the rest, like having a good supporting cast. You know, throwing the DK Metcalf makes anybody's job easier. Throwing the Tyler Lockett makes anybody's job easier. Uh, he had a Gino had a decent line that uh, last couple of years, at least that tackle. So I think Shane played a part of it. Um, but I'm not going to lie. I think Gino overcame his coordinator in some cases, particularly last year. I think last year's third down stuff was a mess. Uh, and Gino was doing damage control uh, more than anything, at least in my opinion. So then, like, take us through this year when the numbers aren't the same. You know, he goes from leading the league in completion percentage to, well, well, not having a Pro Bowl year as, as he did the year before. Like, where do the struggles lie? Is are, Were Shane Waldron and Geno Smith not working well together? Because we saw that kind of play out here with Luke Getze and Justin Fields. So maybe take us through the ups and downs of this past season. That's a good question, too. Shane, Geno was uh, probably the biggest Shane supporter I came across. Like, on, off the record, like, Geno was big Shane guy. So that was not the issue. 
he, everyone else wasn't on the same page. We get mixed results on him. Some people loved him like Gino did. Some people were like, eh, he's okay. Like he does some good stuff here and there, but like, it was, I was asking guys who like, it was their job to get the ball. So I could see why they were frustrated. There were some guys who had real career lows um, playing with Shane last year, some tight ends, some receivers, uh, even a guy like DJ Dallas. Like I think he ran the ball like 10 times, you know, all year. That's, that's not a lot for a running back. You know, uh, some guys can get that on one drive. So uh, there was some mixed results in there. I think Gino was very supportive of him, always was publicly, privately. So I think the issues were more so this is where I'll cut Shane a little slack. I don't know how many iterations of the O-line the Seahawks had starting this year, but it was well into the double digits. Like it was the double, it was double digits by like week 11, which is bad. It's very bad. Uh, and that lack of continuity was very hard to coach with. And I imagine it was very hard to practice with too. It's one thing if you're like your right tackle blows his ACL, right? Cause then you just know he blew his ACL. But if like, he's got a gimpy knee and he's limited at practice. So your right guard rolls his ankle or something like that. Then you're just like, okay, will I have him? Will I not? And the, the, the plans kind of reflected that some games, like when they played Detroit, they came out thinking we can't block Aiden Hutchinson. So let's plan accordingly. Let's give our guys help. We're missing our two tackles to go beat Detroit. They go out with that same type of plan against like the giants. Oh, we can block these guys. Well, then Kayvon Thibodeau wrecks the whole plan and they scored like 10 points on offense or something like that. So not knowing what he was going to get out of his old line led to a lot of inconsistency, I think, on Shane's part. Because imagine that as the OC. You're like, all right, cool. How, do I call the game thinking we can block these guys, or do I call the game thinking we can't? And some games, you could tell he went in there thinking, yeah, we could block these guys. And then Trey Hendrickson just blows them to smithereens in Cincinnati. In some games, he gives guys help, you know, like on a Micah Parsons or um, some of the games against the Niners. Like, hey, we're not going to be able to block Bosa, so let's let's – adjust accordingly. That was very tough on Shane. And I think that really impacted their situational stuff. The Seahawks had stretches where they were just awful in the red zone, awful on third downs. I think they ended the year as 30th in third downs. Uh, and I think that was a big part of it. Cause when you don't know what you're going to get up front, it's hard. Like, do we bring to our, do we leave our back in there? Do we max protect? Do we slide in this way? What are we going to do? And even if we have a plan, do they hold up? You know, does our, does our right guard just get walked back in the Geno? You know, we're playing 41 year old Jason Peters. Is he going to hold up this week, right? So I think Shane dealt with all of that on top of some uh, inconsistency from his quarterback and his run game, and it was just hard. Like, the product was not – I'm not going to lie, I'm kind of surprised the Bears were after him so tough because the product, if you just go by last year, it was not get a promotion worthy. It was like, ah, if the new guy comes, we'll retain you. But it didn't, like, blow me out of the water. You know what I mean? So yeah. why do you – yeah, why do you think the outside perception seems to be so different? Um, cause it was like, I'm not going to lie to you the moment. And I don't think it's just here in Chicago either. There's been some, you know, some, some national hype around him. The moment we found out Pete Carroll, you know, was, was getting bumped up and there was going to be some coaching, uh, changes there in Seattle almost instantly. It was like, Oh, Shane Waldron would be a perfect fit for what the bears are trying to do. Yeah, no, that, I was wondering that earlier in the year too. I think it was like around like week seven or something. There was a YouTube video, it was like an hour long. It was like the headlines like Shane Waldron's the most underrated play call in the league right now. And it was incredible. I think it was like Josh McCown breaking it down. So I didn't want to like say Josh McCown didn't know what he was talking about, but I watched the whole thing and I was like, wow, this is really fascinating. Like I didn't think, I don't think Shane's bad. I think he's like, okay. And I think he's like a, a decent coordinator. You give him good players, you'll get like a good offense. The Seahawks offense was not bad this year. It was very good like top 15 top 10 and like some really good efficiency stuff but when i'm looking at some of the outside perception i'm like huh all right so you guys 
you don't care about situational football then. Because you want to talk early downs, Shane's a master. That's probably that's probably what it is. Because on early downs, Shane will give you some stuff. Like he's a, I think he's a former tight end coach. I think that's his positional yeah. background. And you can tell with some of the usage of it. They do some like funky formations. Uh, they're really good with 13 personnel, 12 personnel. Seahawks are one of the best 12 and 13 personnel teams in 2022. So I think that's the conclusion. I haven't like – I'd love to just ask Josh McCown, I guess. But that's one of the the things I kind of concluded. Like, oh, okay, people really are loving this early down stuff. And I think that that's important. You know, that's half the, half the damn game is what you can do on first and second down. Because the Seahawks, if you just look at those splits, a really good team, really efficient, run the ball well, um, good balance between run and pass. Shane figured out how to run screens. I mean, they hadn't, they hadn't run screens well in Seattle since – the uh, kingdom was a thing. So it, it had been a while. So Shane <laughs> does some good stuff. I don't act like he's terrible. Um, but I do think it's when he, he's probably in one of those situations where if you go in thinking in either direction, if you want your bias confirmed, you can find it in either direction when you watch a Shane Waldron offense. You go in thinking, oh, man, this guy's a genius. Look at this. Look at this formation. Look how they set this up. Like You could do that. I could do that. I could do that right now. Pick plays and designs. and like, oh, look how they came back to that. And if I wanted to be pessimist, I'd be like, oh, look at all these bad things. So I, I really think it's kind of just eye of the beholder situation. Um, and I, you guys will see that. You'll see some games where Shane kills it. And you'll see some games where and to talk radio in Chicago that next morning is going to be nasty for him. You know, you can, you can, already, you can already see it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I really think it, that focus on early downs and some of the work that he did there is probably why a lot of people are high on him. How did he get along with – with Pete Carroll, because Matt Eberflus, another defensive-minded head coach, I imagine Pete had a strong influence on the way things were were going to be run by by Shane to some extent, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Pete, for what it's worth, Pete's pretty hands-off from what I've heard on the coordinators, um, particularly on game day. I think he's learned to trial by fire there of being too hands-on and just messing up the guy. Uh, and he's learned from being a coordinator with the coach in his ear, like, man, dude, leave me alone. I'm trying to call the plays. So let me rock. Um, so he's been good with that uh, on game day. He'll butt in every now and again, but it sounds like it's more so uh, like a mentality or something like, hey, let, let's get back to the run game. Uh, he's not calling like, all right, we're going to run H pivot here or whatever. You know, sounds like he's more like, hey, man, we, we ain't got the, let's 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 uh, let's bleed clock here or let's take a shot here. You know, just a little little stuff like that. For, I'm not in the headsets, you know, but that's that's what it, the sense that I get. Uh, and having that autonomy is good. And I, I was always curious how much he had because then I can assess him, you know, not necessarily like, all right, do I think that the, your boss is in your ear while you're trying to work? Because that would suck for any of us, let alone guys in these like high stressful situations like an OC at the NFL level. So yeah, I it's I get the sense that the the pairing worked well. Um, I do think last year though was really frustrating. I don't know if it led to any like toxic stuff behind the scenes. I have no reporting on that, but I do know this is probably the first time since I've been covering Pete, which is since 2017, that Pete basically came out and said we're not using our guys right. This was after the Dallas game, I want to say. Which, again, see, that's a good example of a good Shane game and a bad Shane game all in one. They lost, and Pete was like, yeah, we're not using our guys right. Like, I use Jackson Smith and Jigba more. Like, we got to get our tight ends more involved. Usually your coach is just like, let's run the ball more, right? Every coach thinks that. But Pete was very specifically like, yeah, we need to use JSN differently. Our tight ends aren't involved enough. You know, we got to be better on third down. I hadn't heard Pete do that in, in, in years. Never really heard him do that, even when the offense stunk in the past. So that was very interesting to see around, like, 
December, late November, where Pete to be like, yeah, we have all these talented dudes and we're not maximizing them. We need to maximize them. When I heard Pete say that, I was, that was a huge indictment of the OC to me. Yeah. You know, like that was a, that was a huge red flag. Yeah. You guys can probably find that transcript or that, that, uh, the press conference where he said it. I think it was either after the Niners game or Thanksgiving or the Dallas game. It was certainly after a primetime game. I just remember thinking that's terrible. That's your job. It's literally your job to maximize Jackson Smith and Jigba, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Noah Fant, Colby Parkinson, Ken Walker. It's a lot of skill talent to not be a really dynamic offense. So, yeah, I think they got along fine, but, man, that comment right there, that everyone wrote about that that week. That sounded terrible. Mike, last thing I have for you is can you paint a picture of maybe the ideal quarterback for what Shane wants to do? Um, because I guess one of my concerns here in, in in under the idea of keeping Justin Fields is just, you know, one of the things that Justin struggles with is just getting the ball out fast and, you know, his drop is slower than most and just, you know, quick timing things. And that's kind of what the West coast offense mostly is. So, I mean, just from what you've seen, um, both from Russell, from Gino, just what's the ideal quarterback for what Shane Waldron wants to do. And, uh, you know, however comfortable you are kind of projecting that on Justin Fields, you know, feel free to share that too. No, yeah, I'm, I'm just like you guys following. You guys are closer to it, but when I saw them hire Shane, I'm like, okay, wait, are they keeping Justin? And I think the Bears what interviewed Greg Roman, so that made me think they were keeping Justin. Um, I would probably just trade for Drake May. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a May guy over Caleb guy, uh, even though I'm in Pac-12 country. But either way, uh, I do think getting the ball out on time is probably the preferred style of play. I think the good OCs can just work with whatever you got, right, in, in theory. But – that's like get it out on time because it's just so much easier as an OC. Think about it. Like that's why Russ was like a frustrating OC, uh, quarterback at times for some OCs because it's like, cool, dude, you can triple axle and spin and make this play. But it's like, man, that dig was open. <laughs> if he had just yeah. waited for it, he wouldn't have had to do all that. Uh, I think Russ is uh, – Bryce Young is like this too, I think, to a lesser extent. Both of them are really good problem solvers, but they solve problems that they created. And that's just really frustrating for an OC, any OC, not just Shane. It's like, dude, I designed this play. Like the backside dig is open or the, the corner was there, like, or the fade was there. Like just, just, just throw it where it's at. You know, it's, it's so much easier, particularly for your O-line too, to block for that. Like knowing, Hey, this is a three-step drop. Our O-linemen are blocking. Like it's a three-step drop. You sit back there and take seven and dance. That's, that's your fault if they get called for holding or something, you know? Uh, so I think that, yeah, being on time is key. Uh, for any OC, but I do think that's probably the bucket that Shane would want his guy to be in. Like, hey, man, we're designing these plays. You got gifts as a quarterback, whether it's Caleb or Justin. You got gifts. Use them accordingly, but, you know, working within the flow of the offense is much easier to get your guys in rhythm, I think. That would be my my guess. Because uh, when Russ was at his best with Shane, that's what he was doing. Uh, Gino, that's where Gino is all the time. He's That's why I think him and Gino work so well because Gino was definitely a, I'm about to get this ball out to where it's supposed to go, go through my reads, go where the read takes me, trust the process. They're very big process guys. Uh, Drew Locke was even the same way. You know, we saw Drew Locke you know, get busy in that Eagles game, uh, especially late. So, yeah, I think that would be the preferred style, which makes it an interesting fit because I watch Fields too. So I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, he don't look like he gets the ball where it's supposed to go. Looks like he's thinking too much, uh, which I would think you guys are way closer to me, but I would think the higher and 
Shane would probably be leaning more towards getting a different quarterback. That would be my thought. Because, uh, yeah, you guys know that's what Justin struggles with. And Caleb is probably a little bit better at it. So Or, or Drake May. Like I said, I'm a May guy. But, yeah, I would guess on time, read your – trust your keys, read them, progress through as we planned it, and go from there. That would be the ideal guy, I think, for a Shane offense. Mike, quickly, I was going to ask you what's next for Seattle, given their, their coaching search, but now I need to know why you're a uh, Drake May guy. <laughs> I, I think that Drake is a little bit better at doing what I was just mentioning. Because um, I like, I went to Washington State, so I watch a lot of Pac-12 football. So yeah. I watch a lot of Caleb um, and have for you know, as long as he's been in the conference. Uh, haven't watched as much Drake except for like on film going recently. I don't watch him live that much. But I, when I watch them both – I seem like if I'm a coordinator or a head coach or whoever, I think I can get Drake a little bit more naturally to play on time and on schedule because the on schedule stuff is just, it's more sustainable. I feel like if you're, you can be an off script guy, but you got to use it situationally. That's why Mahomes is so great to me and Lamar. Like they're really good when they need to be off script, but if the play is open, they'll wait for it. Josh Allen is the same way actually too. Like, Hey, I can run. All these guys I mentioned can move but they're going to run as like a secondary outlet after they scan what they need. You could see Caleb, Caleb gets himself in trouble a little bit with that solving problems that he creates. Now that, that USC offense last year was a joke. Like he, that offense just had to ask him to be Superman. That was unfair to him. But some of the problems too were his own creation. And he was just so much more athletic than everyone. His arm is so talented that he could buy time back there and make a 50 yard heave down the sideline. But you guys know you can't live off that in the NFL. You just can't. At some point, the other guys are going to be just as athletic as you, and they will catch you, and they will hurt you if you do that, and you'll frustrate your teammates by not pl- playing on schedule, yada, yada, yada. So it's splitting hairs a little bit, but I feel like you get very similar arm talent um, and like IQ stuff with Drake, and I do think you can get him, I think, a little easier to play on schedule if that's what the offense calls for. If you're just trying to go out there and play backyard ball and it's just like YOLO, hey, go take Caleb because he's probably better than Drake. But I do think if your goal is to, hey, man, this is a – we're running this. The, the dig's going to open up, get it over the linebacker in front of the safety. I feel like I can get Drake to do that a little bit more consistently. All right, Mike. Good stuff. We really appreciate it, man. Uh, everyone should be following you on Twitter at Mike Dugar. That's D-U-G-A-R. And uh, you know what? I think some talking points for us here, Mike, because I think our I think the yeah. people who listen to this podcast are going to be thinking about this hire a little bit differently after hearing what you had to say. So we really appreciate it, man. Oh, yeah, no problem. Like you said, no one really likes their OC, right? Unless it's Andy yeah, yeah. Reid. So it's, right. it comes with the territory. Hey, wait, wait, I, I think they're Matt mad Nagy's at Andy right now. <laughs> well, yeah, they're blaming everything on Matt. They're not happy. Right. The ch- yeah. Yeah, he they're, gave the ball to McCole Hardy, you know. Yeah, no, you're right. No one likes their OC, no. you know. So, yeah, <laughs> good luck to Shane out there, though. He's a good mind. So, but, yeah, you got you to gotta, you gotta win. You win, score points, there you go. No one really beef with you. That's it. All right, thanks, Mike. Appreciate it, man. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. 
Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. If you're like me, you believe there needs to be more stylish, functional, business, casual men's wear that is both high quality and durable that can withstand your day. I'm talking about maybe hanging out in the press box, watching the game later with your friends, maybe getting a quick nine holes in. That's why men's closets were due for a radical reinvention and Roan stepped up to the challenge. Roan's commuter collection is the most comfortable, breathable, and truly versatile set of products known to man. They have products for every occasion. We're talking about the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos, and blazers. They look great as individual pieces, maybe with a Hogan Johns polo or quarter zip, but they also work seamlessly together. Rowan's signature four-way stretch fabric is breathable, flexible, and works everywhere from your commute to work to the 19th hole. It's time for unparalleled confidence without all the hassle. Rowan's commuter collection features wrinkle-release technology and is 100% machine washable. Looking good is that easy. The commuter collection can get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com slash Adam and use promo code Adam to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to roan.com slash Adam and use code Adam. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Man, I, I got to say, uh, help me. Who was the guy from Pittsburgh we had on right after the Bears traded for Chase Claypool? <laughs> Kabali. That, that's what that reminded me of. Mark Kabali. And it was like it well, was like oh. I, I think they're a bit different just in terms of like what that player like became yeah, and had the history. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I know what yeah. you're saying, but yeah, um, I'm just talking about in terms of the interview we did right after the acquisition. That's that's all I'm saying. I wouldn't expect the results to be uh, quite that disastrous. Um, no, I I I, um, I it get would be it. Like if if someone brought you on um, in. I don't know. Um, New Orleans, if they hire Luke Getze, what are you going to say? <laughs> you know, right? No, I get it. And like, and and um, look, I appreciate everything that Mike had to say about Geno Smith too. But also, he's working working, working with Geno Smith the last couple of years. Like, there's got to be a level of, of that too. And any OC is going to look better with a really good quarterback. Um, which is not what Shane Waldron's had. He's had, you know, regressing Russell Wilson that they were willing to trade and Geno Smith, who, you know, again, as good as he's been in this renaissance he's been on, Geno Smith is still like not a top 10 NFL quarterback. So I, I still think the hire makes a lot of sense for what the Bears are trying to do here threading the needle between their two big quarterback options that they have to make a decision on here in the coming months. That's a great way to put it because both are on the table and the table we know exists for Matt Eberflus. Um, Mike actually had this in one of his columns. I want to think it was at the end of last year when Geno Smith had his breakout year. Again, led the league in completion percentage, career highs in passing yards, career highs in Touchdown passes, and I think pass rating. So, you know, Mike Sano, friend of the show, the Athletics National Writer, does those QB tiers, right? Mm -hmm. So in 2021, he was in tier three 
at number sorry sorry let me, let me get this right he, in 2021 he was in tier five the only quarterback in tier five after 2022 he jumped up to tier three at number 20. That jump was the largest jump that year and the third largest jump in the history of Sandoz Tears project. So there was significant yeah. improvements made by Geno Smith. And in 2022, if I got these years right, I'm messing up these years. I know I am. Um, he was just ahead. Geno Smith was just ahead of number 21, Justin Fields in tier three. So, well, you're trying to think I, about. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking after the good season Geno Smith had had last year going into this to this yes. season. so so the last 2021 he was yeah. yeah 2021 he was in the tier 5 by himself 2022 yeah. he moves up to tier 3 because of this the success yeah the years are different i got the years of the actual survey wrong here but just in terms of the production you know what i'm saying yeah, I got I you. think I and, hope I know what you're saying. <laughs> I don't no, even know what I'm saying. There was improvement there, Adam Hogue. I know it because the numbers show it. 2022 was his breakout year, and it was after that breakout year that he made that jump from Tier 5 to Tier 3. Yes, in the 2023 but, QB Tier survey. <laughs> there you go, which was like last Boom. summer. Yes. Um, we got you. We got you. Um, so look, yeah, I, look, the point of this short little pod today was, was to have somebody on from Seattle who knew the situation well and give uh, an informed view on the whole thing because Mike has covered Shane Waldron the last three years. So, um, you know, now it's, now it's up to you guys, the listener, the viewer to take that information and project it to what the bears have. Um, we have more, you know, See, plenty the difference of time. Between this interview, sorry. <laughs> now, yeah. now you got me on Kabali again. <laughs> <laughs> the difference between like Kabali like he said, that was not going to work from the start with Chase Claypool. Yeah. Like yeah. He, he called it from the get go. This is going to yeah. be a bust move. Chase Claypool was a bust pick. This is not going to work out for the Bears. Thank you for the second round pick. Steelers could not be more grateful. You're right. This interview, there is a bit more optimism to go with the pessimism. That's fair. That's fair. I still feel like it's sort of a little cold water on the here that so far it, this news is as we're recording this, what about eight hours old? And uh, it's been mostly viewed as a home run hire. Um, also some of what we've heard from Seattle too, which I think is interesting information to hear for fans that care about press conferences and stuff. Apparently Shane Waldron doesn't say much. Apparently he's pretty dry in his press conferences and, um, you're not going to get much out of those. That's just the word that that's that's coming out of Seattle on that. I don't know. That doesn't necessarily matter, but always seems to enter the conversation here in Chicago somewhere or the other. You know, beyond like the pop cam bit that Luke Getze had going forever, you know, that one can of squirt kind of just stayed up there all year long, by yeah. the way. Like, that was all fun and games. But if you go look back at some of those press conferences, like he said a lot of stuff, kind of like, Kind of like how Matt Nagy would say a lot of stuff, but when you look back at it, there's not a lot there. Right. He was very Luke Getze became very good at saying nothing. Many words, little substance. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, so again, I don't know how much that really matters or whatever, but it does. As Mike said at the end, uh, you got to win games, and that little issue becomes more of an issue when you're not winning games. Then that's when that becomes a problem. 
Um, if you're winning games, no one cares. Like Bill Belichick for years and years and years. Eh, they're winning. Fine. Um, so there you go. All right. Any other final thoughts? Uh, we obviously have plenty more opportunities here to talk more about this this hire coming up. I think um, some readers, some listeners, I don't know what you talked about in CHGO, but too many people are making too many connections between Shane Waldron and the QB Collective. Yes. I and agree. like the the history of Caleb Williams being there and other young quarterbacks. If anything, that just enhances draft evaluations to me, like having that experience. Like, you know who else is involved in that? Like Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel, Sean McVay. Like every single person from that tree we're talking about. Like even, you know, Stefanski, who's, you know, part of that tree through Gary Kubiak. Mm-hmm. They all go there. They all part, they're all part of that QB collective. So a lot of input from a lot of great coaches, obviously, with that collective they have going on. So don't read too yeah. much into the time. Well, and um, I didn't know this until someone brought it up, but apparently you go to that website and Justin Fields is on the homepage. So, again, yeah, I, I don't I, – in, in fact, I think this is the one hire that above all other options that maybe was most down the middle when it becomes, you know, on the idea of would this be a tell on the quarterback decision? I don't think it's a tell either way. Like Greg Roman think, would be a tell. Greg Roman would be, a tell. would be a tell. Right. Most of the other guys they interviewed were in the middle, and I think specifically Shane Waldron, you can go either way here. Now, that being said, I'm sure they talked in their interviews about maybe Shane Waldron's preference or what they think he can do or what he thinks he can do with both of these quarterbacks and maybe in their hearts or their brains or whatever that led them thinking one way or the other, but we're not going to have that information. We're not going to know that uh, in the meantime. So uh, interesting hire, Um, in my opinion, a good hire, but we've also been down this road with rotating OCs every anywhere between one and three years. Um, I just think it's in Chicago. Comparing, well, yeah, it happens a lot. Um, yeah. If you're just comparing and contrasting between Waldron and Luke Getze, to me, it's the play calling experience that stands yes. out. And I like that he has history in Los Angeles. Like when things got started with Jared Goff, right? Mm-hmm. Forget the Geno Smith turnaround for a little bit. Like, how about the Jared Goff turnaround? And, and I get it that he started off as the tight ends coach there, but by the second year, there in Los Angeles, he was the passing game coordinator. And, and in that second year, Jared Goff set career highs that are still valid to, to this day, even what's going with what's going on in Detroit. So like that to me is very appealing, especially if you can compare and contrast it to what the Bears just had in Luke Getzi, who had no experience calling plays at this level, and who had only had a reference of a reference point of Aaron Rodgers and his success. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, Mike Dugar who covers the Seattle Seahawks for The Athletic. Theathletic.com slash Hogan Johns is where you go to subscribe. Um, we did have a, uh, a long, very long Shane Waldron show on CHGO today. If you want to check that out, all CHGO uh, uh, YouTube channel and allchgo.com. So uh, plenty of coverage on this big hire. And, of course, uh, John Zine Fishbane broke it down as well. You can follow us on Twitter at Hogue and Johns and individually at Adam Hoke at Adam Johns. And we're back tomorrow. We got a we got a big show tomorrow. Because our guy Dan Brugler's coming on. Wonder what he thinks about this. Yeah, he had a little mock draft last week with a certain quarterback. 
also available on The Athletic. Uh, Dane's great. And obviously, last year when the Bears had the number one pick, we had Dane on a lot. That's the plan this year as well. So, Dane Brugler, everyone always loves when Dane comes on. That's what's happening on uh, tomorrow's episode, Tuesday morning, when we'll record that. So, a little bonus action here today as we cover the hiring of the Bears' new offensive coordinator. Um, but for now, we'll say goodbye, and we'll be back with Dane Brugler tomorrow. Yeah. Point is, uh, those are some numbers.